Let us pray. God of love, we come into this space that we might have confidence in things we hope for, that we might have conviction in things we do not yet see, that you would guide us and be with us in our hopes and our fears, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts may be truly acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer, and let the people say, Please have a seat. It's a pleasure to welcome you into the United Parish on this first Sunday in Lent as we begin our annual journey, deepening in our contemplation, in our drawing closer to God, but also drawing closer to one another. And I should also tell you that on behalf of our communications team, for the first time, we are live streaming our service over Facebook. Henry is down here with the camera. Hello, everyone on Facebook. We're glad to be with you today. We began our Lenten journey on Wednesday morning and Wednesday evening, as we often do here in the chapel with the smudging of ashes, reminding us that from ashes we have come to ashes we will return Or as we talked about on Wednesday, that we are even made, as cosmologists tell us, of stardust. And to stardust, we may one day return in the grander universe. And today we turn to the question of what does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to practice this thing called the Christian faith? You may recall that two months ago, on Epiphany Sunday, January 6th, I said that in Lent I would like to invite the entire congregation to work on writing their faith statements, and that we would dedicate Lent to doing this, and then hopefully share them on Easter Sunday. I even have a vision of tacking them up on on strings, sort of clotheslines around the congregation, and sharing them in the sermon that day. Now... The idea of this came from what we ask our confirmands to do every other year, where we give them a year of study. They delve into what it means to practice Christianity. They think about their own baptism. And then at the end of the year, they produce their own statement of faith, what they believe, what they know to be true, what they lean into. And we have a beautiful service in which they share those statements of faith here in front of the congregation. Those of you who were here last year may remember we had five people Five young people who chose to be confirmed and gave their statements of faith, and two who decided not to be confirmed. And they gave their statements of faith as well. Now, as I talked about this idea of having us all work on our faith statements and display them in church and preach about them, I heard some fear and intimidation among the congregation particularly as we talked about it in ministry teams, and we began to wonder what was that about and, and how could we get past that and, and could we possibly get everyone to participate in this and why would you and how? I've heard in every church I've been in they're longing for what's known as adult confirmation, that those of us who are past the usual teenage years of confirmation might have an opportunity to dig into what we actually believe, to maybe retool our thinking about the things we are taught, or to grow into new ideas about that. The thing about when we hear these faith statements from our confirmands is that they are not set in time. Five years, ten years, thirty years later, we might not hold them to the same faith statement, because just as they grow and change, so will their faith grow and change. My question is, 
why would any of us want to do this, whatever our age? We say we're people of faith. As I know you, we come from a variety of faith backgrounds, as we see every time we have new members join. Some grow up in very conservative faith. Some grow up with very loosely defined faith. Some grow up in other faith traditions. Some grow up with no faith at all. And we also have a variety of ways of being in the world. But my question, what I'd like us to lean into, is if we say we are a community of faith and one that follows the Christian faith, do we have a solid footing on how we articulate and express that faith to ourselves and to the world around us? If someone were to ask us what we really believe, could we tell them? Is it something that we have digested that is fully a part of our being? And do we have a sense of how the way we would articulate our faith connects to this deeper, longer Christian and the Jewish traditions of which we have emerged? The passage that Betty just read has this wonderful opening statement. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. In our Lenten study, we're going to dig into what that means. What are the times in our lives when we've had to have confidence in things we could only hope for or had assurance of things we could not yet see? And then as you listen to that phrase, we only played a portion of it. We only heard a portion of it today because to hear all of it is a little mm, rambling to hear in the, out loud in the church. But it talks about Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Joshua at the walls of Jericho. And Moses, all the people who have continued in this lineage of faith, one after another, handing it down piece by piece. You can say in this place, by faith, people came together as the Harvard Congregational Church and St. Mark's Methodist Church and the Baptist Church in Brookline. By faith, they came together one day by, in the United Parish in Brookline, hoping to find a firmer foundation for their faiths together. By faith, they built this building, even when they didn't have enough money to cover the expenses. By faith, we have formed ministry teams to try to give our work in the world. By faith, we have called pastors and we lean into music and prayer and study, hoping that we may move on one day to that better country, a place that we can only see in our mind's eye or the mind of God. Now, I'm aware that there are a lot of us who come to this church with questions or ambiguity about our faith, would have trouble articulating it if we were held hostage on an elevator and asked to give the elevator speech about our faith. And some of the things I know we struggle with as seemingly rational, empirically-minded 21st century people are the most, more supernatural parts of the Bible say, the virgin birth, or the parting of the Red Sea, or chariots of fire, or walking on water, or bodily resurrections, or turning water into wine, and so forth. And my contention is the reason that we struggle with this is because most of these things are outside of our experience daily, or even what we hear about on a daily basis. It's very difficult to fit our 21st century rational empirical minds back into the first century understanding of the world and cosmology. And I, I fear and I, I despair sometimes of how the lines between our modern understanding of the world and the ancient understanding of the world get drawn so solidly that artificially, that there's some divide between traditional faith and modern science, that we despair ever trying to reconcile the two in our own hearts and minds. 
My guess is that if our scriptures had been written in 2019 instead of two to 5,000 years ago, we would have more references to our understanding of modern science and technology. We would have references to psychology, sociology, and economics. We would have references to the fact that we now think the sun is the center of our solar system, and we know of a universe far beyond that our Earth is actually round and not flat. I believe that it would understand our modern notions about biology and sexuality and the biosphere and environment. I'm curious how many of you grew up reciting creeds in church. Often the two classic ones, the Apostles and the Nicene's creeds. I at one time was confirmed an Episcopalian where we said the Nicene Creed every Sunday. And I found myself always having to do these mental gymnastics between my 21st century mind and the 4th century minds who wrote the Nicene Creed. You will find, and we're going to look at this in our Lenten study, that there are more modern statements of faith. All three of our denominations have them. We're going to look at those three, who have incorporated a more modern understanding of how we return to the ancient ideas. Because I think the real task, and the biggest part of this project, is try to get at the deeper truths that Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Jesus and Paul and Mary Magdalene and the prophets were all trying to get at. Those things we discussed or we said out loud in the call to worship. How do we understand our place in the grand scheme of things? How and why did this world and we human beings come into being? What is our purpose here on earth? How are we to treat one another? How are we to live our lives? How do we find our greater purpose collectively? What is the deeper connection to life, the life source, beyond just our food and shelter and money and power that connects us one to the other and to this deeper source of life we call God? And so I still invite you to enter into these questions. In fact, I've given you a handout in your order of worship that you can take home and work on some of these questions on your own, as a couple, as a family, with friends, to engage with some of these questions. Here's the thing, is that whether you're part of a religious tradition or not, you have a faith. Any of your friends who consider themselves diehard secularists or even atheists, they have a faith. The person who's articulated this really well is Timothy Keller, the evangelical pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City. He uses the word religion. I might replace it for faith. Every religion points to something that is ultimate, Your faith points to what really most matters to you. Even if you just live for yourself and you say, the only thing that matters to me is that I'm free to choose what I want to do with my life, then your freedom is the ultimate thing. Freedom is like your God. It's what you put your faith in and your hope in, as well as your own competence to make decisions about how you're going to live your life. So if you're living for your own freedom or you're living for your family, or you're living for your nation, or you're living for God or some kind of God, that affects the way you live your life. All of us. Everybody has to serve something as their ultimate hope, as their conviction, as their meaning in their life. And therefore, as Keller puts it, everybody is essentially religious. Oftentimes in this modern world, our religion has to do, our ultimate hope and our ultimate faith are in things like technology and science, modern science. But here's something I want you to think about, and I've put on the back of that handout. 
just as we talked a few weeks ago that the Greeks had different words for love and that our English word for love is too, uh, too um, confining, one modern theologian helped me think about the different ways we think of faith. Not just as one thing, but as several things. The first that we often think of is that faith is about a set of beliefs you ascribe to. As we hear in the creeds, the virgin birth, the bodily resurrection, the trial before Pontius Pilate, the Jesus descending into hell and coming back up again. You have a set of beliefs that you work with every day that help you navigate your life. It may be a belief in God. It may be a belief that Jesus is both human and divine. It may be that the world is round or that people are essentially good or that you believe in human rights. But there are other ways also to think about your faith. One is, what is it you are most loyal to? Is it your family? Is it your spouse? Is it the nation? The great 20th century theologian Paul Tillich said that faith is a matter of your ultimate concern. He said if you're a capitalist, your ultimate concern is the market, and there's what you put your faith. And your well-being often floats on the ups and downs of the market. The same would go if we put our ultimate faith in our families or our spouses. As long as things are going well, it sustains us, but when they start to get a little on the downturn, either a sickness or a betrayal or disappearance or anything like that, our faith wavers. What are you loyal to? What, at the end of the day, is the thing that is most important to you? So belief, loyalty, and a third thing, trust. When I was traveling in the developing world, I discovered how much my trust here in the United States is put in technology and science. When the lights would go out for long periods of time in Tanzania, it felt like the world was falling apart. How can we do anything? Or if the roads weren't solid enough to get through in a four-door sedan, what's going to happen? If you, you know how this works. If you lose your key or your credit card, your whole world falls apart in seconds. Because we have put our faith in these systems, these infrastructures, these technologies that sustain our life. You may put your trust in God. You may put your trust in human kindness. You may put it in things that are that can fade away in time. And the last way of thinking of faith, beyond belief, loyalty, and trust, is what is your worldview? How do you essentially see the cosmos, the universe, and here on earth? These things are all structured by ways we've been taught, our faith community, the class, the race we were born into, our education, but our understanding of how it's all structured. Early on in this discussion of how we might have this conversation about faith, I was talking with Amy about what it means to live a Christian life. What, what does it mean for us to think about what it means to live a Christian life? And we talked about what it means to have faith as an American. If you are faithful to this country, what does an American life look like? Well, purportedly, we believe in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We believe in the equality of all people. We stand on our Constitution again and again and again. We like big portions. We like things big. We think bigger is better. We survive on a consumer capitalist economy. These are some of the things that are just knit into what it means to grow up in this country and thus shape the way we live and move and have our being. So I want to invite you to join us on this faith exploration 
There are no right answers. There are no wrong answers. They are your answers of figuring out your relationship to something beyond yourself, something we call in this place God, what it means to follow the risen Christ, to be a follower of Jesus in the Christian faith, for each one of us to take some time to really dig down and think about it. We invite you to do it here with these handouts or online or to join us in our workshops, one of which will start at 1230 in our parlor and others we are organizing for the weeks, weekdays. And then also, on Palm Sunday, we're going to listen to the Foray Requiem. Our choir is going to bring that to us as a statement of faith of Gabriel Foray. Some of us in our faith statements, they may actually end up being drawings or pieces of music or a sculpture, some way that articulates how we experience God and our place in the universe. I believe faith at its best is a grand adventure that gives us meaning and purpose and a sense of what life is about. And we as a community are invited to join on this journey together, each learning from one another, each digging down in our own ways, each coming up with our own answers, and realizing the beautiful tapestry that each of us inhabits as we are each made in the image of God. Amen.